and welcome to my first five years podcast. I'm Alistair Bryce Clegg. And I'm Jenny Johnson, and we're early years experts and the founders of My First Five Years, an activity and development app for parents. And this podcast will help you to find the joy in parenting and ditch some of that guilt and worry. Absolutely. We're passionate about helping parents get rid of some of that anxiety and have much more fun. So I came across this book called Parenting for Humans, How to Parent the Child You Have as the Person You Are by Dr. Ennis Fanberg. Like it. And it was just, I had so many penny drop moments. It's not a parenting guide. Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting book for me that talks about the psychology of how you are a parent and why you might or do parent in the How way you parent, that you parent. Yeah. And just so many takeaways. So I said to the team, I am going to email Dr. Emma Svanberg and see if she'll come on our podcast. And to be fair, they all said, not, not a Nelson's. <laughs> so I emailed her and actually she emailed back and said yes. And so today we are really excited to say that Dr. Emma Svanberg is here. So Dr. Emma Svanberg is a clinical psychologist, an author, and an activist. And she wrote the amazing Parenting for Humans that Alice has already been talking about, and also specializes in attachment, trauma, and the perinatal phase. So hello, Emma. We're delighted to hello. have you. Hello. Lovely to be here. Emma, if you could sum up your book in a sentence or two, what would you say? Oh, there's a question to start us off. Um, Parenting for Humans is a book for you as a parent rather than a parenting guide or a parenting manual and the purpose of writing it was to take the pressure off parents in trying to parent in these very prescriptive often perfectionist ways uh, in order to be able to really understand the actual child that you have not these kind of textbook children that we can often fantasize about. It's absolutely that. And it was that for me when I read it. And the idea that you, when you take away, which is what we talk about a lot in my first five years, when you take away a lot of the pressure and anxiety that's often inflicted on you or self-inflicted by your own view of what you think you should be, you do have loads more time to notice the child that you've got and also how complex that child is. And also remembering how complex as a parent you, you are because you are a human being just like everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. I think so often where people come to see me as a therapist is because they've really got themselves tied in knots about whether what they're doing is good enough or the flip side of that, I'm getting it all wrong and I'm messing up this child that is so important to me. And I think exactly as you say, once we can find ways to alleviate that anxiety, we then can find joy and pleasure in this amazing relationship that we have. What a standout moment for me when I was listening to it as an audio book was the idea that you, the view you have of parenting and where you get that from. So the idea that you have a view of being a parent that's either, I want to be just like an aspect of my parents because that aspect of them was ace, or I want to be nothing like my parents because that aspect of them was rubbish. And also, because social media didn't exist when I first became a parent, it's like, you know, did you watch a lot of 90s rom-coms? Did you see lots of people in orange sweaters having fantastic parenting experiences around a Christmas tree? And did you think that was what it was going to be about? And then the crashing disappointment when the reality is that somebody's just been sick down your back. I do think I was 25 when I had my first. And I just, I think I was blissfully unaware about what was, what was about to happen, if I'm perfectly honest. I don't know whether that's common as well, that people actually don't necessarily think about it, don't talk about it as partners. 
and sort of arrive home from hospital, shut the door behind you and think, oh my goodness, what now? Yeah. And that's when some of the conflict can arise as well, because you've not really spoke about it till that moment, which maybe sounds crazy and maybe I'm, you know, not no, typical, I but I, I remember just walking through the door and thinking, what now? But I think even when you haven't, when even when you have given it a lot of thought, you think about the fantasies, right? You're not really thinking about the reality of what is it going to be like to be with this other human being day in day out, and hey. how is it going to change your life, and what are your values, and how are you going to kind of transmit them in your family life? And I think for many people, it just goes to show, doesn't it, how many different ways there are to become a family. And for some people, mm -hmm. yeah. that's a very thought through, planned process. For other people, it's a complete surprise. And then there's the whole kind of range in the middle. And in all of those different ways that we become parents, we still bring with us particular expectations or fantasies. Yeah. And even if they're not named, we still carry unconscious expectations of what it's going to be like based on mm -hmm. our own experiences. But also, like you were saying, Alistair, the kind of TV shows that we've watched or the books that we've read or the social media that we consume. So often... They're very unconscious and they're there in the background, but they're revealed to us in our feelings of shame or failure, like we're not getting it right because we're not living up to this kind of unconscious expectation that we have. I think as well, those subconscious parenting ideals that often come out when your parenting is probably at its worst, not its best. So when you feel in control, then you are able to put in place all of those parenting strategies that you'd like your parenting to be. But in times where you might lack control because uh, of an emotional state or trauma, then that kind of subconscious core emotional parenting comes out. And I think for all parents, that's a truth. And it's often the parenting that you're least proud of, but it's something that you should acknowledge and discuss because it's by acknowledging that parenting that you can then make your other parenting better. Yes. And I think what you said was really interesting there about control, because we can feel that we're not in control, not only because of experiences like trauma, but also because we're parenting another human being and we can't control other human beings. Yeah, And, yeah. and often it's yeah. in those moments, right? Those very day-to-day -day frequent moments where we have an idea about this is what's going to happen when we're leaving the house. And then our child or children have very different ideas about what is going to yeah. happen. And, you know, so much of parenting is about control and power and kind of coming up against each other in these ways. And, you know, once we can kind of respect each other's rights and opinions and different needs, then it becomes much smoother. But even that, right, actually just coming up against a little battle that might happen in households up and down the country every single day, mm -hmm. often that is because we feel that we're not in control of a situation or we feel that our expectations are not being met. And that's where that kind of more subconscious stuff comes out where we have little mm -hmm. echoes, for example, of what might have happened to us when we were kids if we were refusing yeah. to put our shoes on or, you know, we might come up against an image that we have in our heads of other families that are just going out of the house without getting yeah, into these shoes kind on. of problems. <laughs> so, you know, and, and well, once we can name them, like you say, once we can name them, acknowledge them, really think about where they come from, but also kind of admit to them, like you say, then we can start to think about, well, how, where does that, where does that come from for me? What do I want to do about that? Because it, by kind of pushing them away and seeing them as anomalies, we can't then really engage with how we want things to be different. 
and then they just keep popping up for eight. Yeah. And if we normalize them, then that normalizes parenting. Yeah. One of the things we talk about in our app a lot is also that if parents can see that when your child has their shoes on and then decides two minutes before you leave the door, they're going to take them off, that actually cognitively for your child's development, it's showing lots of really positive stuff. They're able to make a decision. They're able to express a preference. They're, they are vying for a bit of power and control in this relationship. Perfectly normal, perfectly typical child development. It actually shows progress as frustrating as it is. And I think even as a parent, if you can see it slightly differently, like not, why have you taken your shoes off? But think, okay, it's frustrating, but it also just helps to get rid of some of that anxiety and anguish that can come in those situations. First of all, with small people who in their very nature can have quite extreme emotions and can, oh, to, for us as mm -hmm. adults, we can feel like they're having very extreme emotions. It's a very intense role and we're often doing it in isolation. So without mm -hmm. other adults around to be able to kind of share that load, actually we can often our own emotional experience is much more heightened because we're doing it so intensively. Mm -hmm. And I think the sharing the you know, the nuance of the experience is something that we're really missing. And I think that's really increased as people have become societally more isolated. You know, I'm thinking about the pandemic, but also just generally, you know, we're, we're much less likely to pop into each other's houses. We're much less likely to look after each other's children than we were even, say, when I was growing up. And I think just not being able to see the reality of what happens behind closed doors is something that that really feeds that fantasy of how things should be. And I think the more mm -hmm. that we talk about, you know, the, the very varied experiences of family life, the more normalised it all becomes, you know, so we're not living up to fantasies or expectations, but it then creates some space for us to think about how we want our family to be. And, you know, then to be able mm -hmm. to go, oh, I really like the way that that parent handles that situation, or I really love yeah. what they're doing, or, you know, they talked about that school and I really want to go and find out a bit more about that. You know, being able to share just what is day-to-day, you know, day -day, often very mundane reality of family life, but in a way that mm -hmm. doesn't feel kind of judged or pressured. You talk in the book about this idea that you, if you are with a partner, you meet that partner, you fall in love with them on partner terms, other human being. You don't really go into depth about how they're parented. You might visit their house and think, oh, their parents are a bit weird, but everybody thinks that everybody else's parents are a bit weird. And then you have this child together mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you're in this completely different relationship that you haven't based up until where you are now. And you might have had fantasies about, oh, they'll make a great mum or a great dad, but you haven't actually thought about the reality of, mm -hmm. and when this happens, what will, how will you respond? Yeah. So. Suddenly your whole, if you're in a relationship, it completely changes. You've got this brand new baby, you're in a really unknown, stressful situation, but your relationship goes onto a completely different plane where you're now suddenly both trying to give a united front in terms of parenting, but possibly coming from completely mm. different parenting backgrounds. And you're trying to deal with all of that alongside actually parenting yeah. little humans. So little wonder that some relationships experience strain and stress when children are involved yes. because not only is parenting hard, but also being a co-parent with somebody else is also really difficult. Yes, incredibly difficult. And I think that, the, you know, there's another layer to that as well at the moment, which is the context that we're in at the moment where there's a lot of discussion about gender roles and, you know, real pushback against traditional gender roles. That's something mm -hmm. that I, I think is a real theme in the work that I do and the conversations that I have where, 
you know, for such a long time. There has been, and I talk about that in Parenting for Humans, you know, the expectation, particularly when I was training, was very much around the importance of the mother-infant dyad. You know, that's what I remember kind of being yeah. really hammered home to me. Attachment is about primary caregiver, usually the mum, and their sensitive interaction with an infant. And actually, when mm -hmm. you kind of dive into the research, there's been researchers for years saying, what about attachment networks? You know, how do we exist in developing different attachment relationships with different caregivers, whether that's other adults, other family members, might be siblings yeah. in other cultures as well. And I think that that kind of pressure of also trying to figure out the kind of gender politics in lots of homes where there's a mm -hmm. lot of resentment, a lot of frustration, a lot of people who feel like they can't quite meet in thinking just in that what feels like a very basic level of what is my role actually going to be in this family and then on top yeah. of that, there's the, and how are we going to parent that child? So, you know, yeah. one of the um, pieces of research that I looked into for the book was really showing the conflict between what our modern relationship, romantic relationship expectations are and how that conflicts with our modern parenting expectations, where yeah. if, uh -huh. for example, modern parenting expectations are around really tuned in, gentle parenting, you know, being very sensitive and responsive to a child, and usually that falls on the shoulders of one primary caregiver. How does that equate with our kind of couple goals, which are we're going to be in an equitable partnership where both of us are contributing to this family? And I think that that people can get in such a, a such a muddle and be in these mm -hmm. kind of cycles of conflict that feel very unresolvable because even when you start to try and resolve them within your own home, you're then coming up against systemic issues like shared parental leave, for example, being really hard to come by, yep. flexible working being hard to come by. So, you know, again, mm -hmm. it's that kind of taking that, the difficulty of a couple context, but then within that wider context of the world that we live in and how hard it is, particularly with how expensive childcare is at the moment, you know, all of these things that can have such an impact on our daily lives as parents and add huge amounts of pressure, huge amounts of stress. And then if we're not mm. talking about that, that actually maybe we're not getting on, not only because we don't quite know how to meet in terms of our parenting aspirations, but we're also under loads of financial stress. We also don't quite know, you know, what our roles are in our relationship anymore. And we don't have the space to have those conversations because we're looking after a tiny baby. You can yeah. really yeah. see. We're not hiding to nothing. Yeah, well, you can yeah. see why this is a, that is survival period, right? And, yeah. and because of those fantasies yeah. that we were talking about before, you know, the reality uh -huh. of, wow, we used to get on really well and now we can't even look at each other without being annoyed. It's such a distance yeah. from what you expected it to be. And that in itself can create even more pressure because then you have that, yeah. it wasn't meant to be this way, you know, what, and then what we tend to do as well. So what are, what are we getting wrong? that we're finding this so hard, yeah. that we're arguing so much. And but once you can start to see all of the different kind of layers of pressure that are on couples, that are on yeah. families, hopefully it sort of takes the pressure off a little bit in just in knowing it's not something that you're going through on your own. This is something that is shared with other parents and it's also a societal issue and one that we really have to solve together as communities rather than each individually in our own homes. I mean, fundamentally, as with everything else, communication is the key. Mm -hmm. 
but it can be really difficult if you are really tired, really stressed, and life isn't working out as you thought it was going to work yeah. out. And the way that your partner has begun to breathe annoys yeah. you. To then say, now we're going to sit down and have a conversation where we can iron all this out is hard, but it is the key really, I suppose, to navigating our way through it. And of course, as we know, mm-hmm. the really difficult things about kids is that they're never going to turn around and go, hey, you did a great job. No, Thank you for literally. everything you've done. If, if, it was all perfect. Yeah. I'm perfectly happy. I'm going <laughs> to fly the nest. So, you know, we have yeah. to find well, our own be... ways, right, to be able to feel that sense of reward in what we're doing yeah. and, and yeah. know that we're doing okay. It is crazy that within the same day or even the same hour, sometimes you can have the highest highs as a parent and the lowest lows. Yes, and of course, you know, there are no perfect relationships either. There are always going to be moments where we're in conflict. And, you know, if anything, we need to teach our children that we can be in conflict and we still love each other and we can still reconnect yeah. afterwards. I think that you don't ever really know what it's going to be like parenting in the situation that you're in right now and parenting these very specific children as they are. And, you know, part of the again, very human psychological process that we go through when we become parents is that as our children grow and develop and behave in ways that are new, it brings up stuff for us that is so unconscious and has been so long forgotten that there's no way that we can prepare for it because it just comes out, almost it feels like it comes out of nowhere. And that's the stuff that I think if we are at least expecting that, that it's going to be surprising that there's going to be really, that we are going to have really big raw feelings about some of the things that our children are doing and saying. Mm -hmm. Then we know that that's something that we can expect, that we anticipate, we can put things in place to be able to think about what that has brought up for us. And I think it's Mm -hmm. that, you know, that's the bit that's so hard for modern parents is that when, when we are going to be able to, or when, to feel able to accept and absorb our children and their responses and their behaviour, it, it helps uh-huh. us so much to come from a place of groundedness ourselves where we feel like we're emotionally yeah. yep. regulated. But if we've uh-huh. never learned to do that, we're learning as we go with our child. So it is this constant process so of true. learning from yeah. each other. And of course, there has to be mistakes in that because for many people, this is the first time that they're figuring out, you know, what does it feel like to really validate anger? how do I do that for myself and maybe that was something that never happened to me and you might be learning mm-hmm. that in the face of a three-year-old shouting at you or you know throwing things <laughs> at you, you yeah, and you, you know it's a lot so you know I think in many ways I often I find it helpful and something I talk about a lot in the book is to kind of tune into those little kid parts of you that come up mm-hmm. at every phase of your children's development because every time yeah. you yep. grow absolutely that brings up something for you or different parts of their personality bring up different things for you about yourself or your other relationships and just that awareness and being able to then tune into what was that like for me what did little me feel like how would I have been responded to it allows you to have that space and gives you a kind of context I suppose to then be able to understand the feelings that come up inevitably for you in the face of all of that. I think quite often we, between us, have um, six children and we often spend the first sort of 10 or 15 minutes in the morning when we get into work just sort of breathing and offloading something might have happened the night before. And I think we both kind of know how we should respond. And often 
try to respond in that yeah. way, that that sort of gentle way that that you know, listening, giving children space. But also, just the last two days, I've left my apartment, sat in my car, and had a little cry. Mm. And I'm 51, and my kids are older, and I kind of know in theory how it all should be going. But sometimes something will just trigger you um, about the the whole sort of dynamic between you and your children, and you just need, well, in my case, just a little bit of a cry to just think, oh my God, this is really, that hurt. And whilst I managed to, you know, keep my anger and my upset to myself in the moment, um, sometimes it it really is incredibly triggering being a parent. And I think to just listening to you makes me feel like I've got permission to do that. Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, it's about containment, right? So if you think about it, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the tools that I talk about in Parenting for Humans is the idea of parents as containers, you know, it's not my idea, that's beyond idea from many, many years ago. And, you know, it's one of our key things that we do as parents, but in all of our relationships, when somebody's coming mm-hmm. and bringing their emotional experience to you, you know, we can either push it away, which is what will have happened to mm-hmm. lots of people when they were growing up. We can ignore it or deny mm-hmm. it or, you know, make light of it, make a joke of it. Or we can take mm-hmm. it really, really seriously. You know, this is why we're thinking about attachment as well, you know, where actually maybe somebody else's emotions make us really anxious and we'll kind of do everything that we can to try and smooth things over. Or, you know, our ideal is that we are just a safe container that we can kind of absorb it, yep. hold it, particularly when children are really emotionally dysregulated. Just having yeah. that kind of soothing, containing presence can be very calming in itself. But we then mm-hmm. need containers. You know, we then need to go. So even if it's sitting in the car and having a cry. My containers. Right, yeah, your car. Or it might be turning into somebody and just going, oh, my God, you're never going to guess what just happened. And so you can yeah. then, it's like passing it on, you know. So if you think mm-hmm. about yeah. it, like, you know, it's so heated when it comes to you and then you pass it on to somebody mm-hmm. else and it gets a bit cooler. And as we do that, which is why the village is so important, right, having people around mm-hmm. us. So that we can take those emotions and share them out. We're not holding it all on our own. Because when mm-hmm. we do, when we don't have our own containers, that's when we're much more likely to pass it back to our children. You're my container mm-hmm. when I get you're to work. <laughs> also, some, sometimes you can and sometimes you can't, and that's and okay. That and sometimes you will say things to your children that you would wish yeah, that you hadn't yeah. said or you'll do. But then... Part of that, as you said before, is if you never crossed word with your child and you never had the opportunity to say, right, when I said that, I shouldn't have done, or you had the opportunity to repair, and I don't mean like a drastic repair, but just have a fallout and get back, fall yeah. back in again, then your children don't learn those lessons about that's how humans yeah. exist. I just remember my mum saying to me, I love you. I just don't like you very much at the moment. I've had that said to me by my parents as well. I think that must have been something you were taught to say. Just obnoxious. (laughs) Well, that thing your parents say where if you it's a it's a good characteristic, I'll say yes. You get that from me. And if it was a bad characteristic, she said, "You get that from your dad." It is. I mean, we are. I suppose we're not painting a grim picture. I think what we're saying is that, well, parenting for humans, you are a human being first and foremost, and human beings are fundamentally flawed, and we've all got different flaws and different positives and different backgrounds, and yet you bring those together in some way, shape, or form to create a child. And there might be just the two of you in the relationship, you and your child, there might be more, but those relationship dynamics are going to be tricky because you're dealing with humans. So the more we can acknowledge that, the more we can talk about that realistically, then the more likely you are to be able to generate a safe container. Mm -hmm. 
Because if you think you're on your own, you think that everybody else is doing a brilliant job because they're all in matching outfits and Instagram having picnics and you're not, you're crying in your car, you're less <laughs> likely to be able to create that safe container. I, I do think becoming a parent provides us with this really unique opportunity to really get to know ourselves. We're reflected back so, by very, very clever human beings. And, mm-hmm. you know, our tendency as humans is to push away those painful, vulnerable feelings. But if we can really embrace that opportunity and think, actually, I, I do mm-hmm. have this chance to really gain a deep level of self-awareness. You know, we yep. both learn about ourselves, but also it means that we're not projecting our stuff onto our children. So, you know, by yeah. using that opportunity and really understanding what we're bringing to the table when we're parenting, it means that we can see our child through a much clearer lens and we can really then get to know them for who they really are. And, you know, I mean, you talk about this all the time on the podcast, but, you know, the way that the you know children are so special and they're so different and you know what we were talking mm-hmm. about before often our conflict in parenting can come from our adult needs being in such conflict to a child's needs so if we're able yeah. to let go of our own lens and really see through their eyes for a little while we can get a little bit of a taste back of how magical it can feel to be a child and you know we don't yeah. often have that opportunity as adults it's quite hard to come by so but it's hard to do in our adult world it is really tricky. And I think you know, for all of us as parents, you know when you're parenting properly, when you uh, get you know, that thought of, oh, I just sound like my dad, or I just sound like my mum. That's when you know you're doing a really good job of actually just reliving all of that parenting that you said you would never do, all the things you said you'd never yeah. say. And you're like, oh, I'm saying that. happens to everybody them. at some point. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of generational parenting cycle. Yes. Thing. I think, thing, you know, it's one of those things that we can often think very carefully about the stuff that we don't want to repeat. And we don't often think about what yes. we want to replace it with. And then, what I think has happened in the, particularly in the last two to three, maybe five years with so much more awareness of parenting strategies, parenting philosophies and approaches, mm-hmm. people can then think about these very particular ways that they would like to parent that don't always feel realistic in the day-to-day grind of family yeah. life. Mm-hmm. And when we're then parenting with that kind of additional pressure of I've got to do it this way and I definitely don't want to do it that way, what ends up happening is that that increases stress on us. And of course, then we end up parenting that way that we really didn't want to do. And that is that that very automatic response that we might have from our own parenting experiences. You know, like yeah. those phrases that we just said, I'm never going to say that to my child. And then you just find yourself saying it in exactly the yeah. same tone of voice. And, you know, it comes from a really automatic place in our body. So if we think about it as really linked to our automatic stress response, so I talk yeah. in the book mm-hmm. about fight, flight, freeze, fawn, and flop. Those are our kind of five main stress responses. You know, it, I can I think about them as well as almost like different characters that can pop out. And when I'm doing therapy mm-hmm. with people, we will often name those characters. So, you know, it might not necessarily be my mum's voice, but it might be, you know, the, the voice of somebody who feels like a really kind of stern matron that can kind of come in either pop out of your mouth at your child or which often happens to parents is there in the background just berating you for your parenting all the time they've been really unkind and so so it's both external and internal and sometimes we can protect Mm -hmm. our child from that voice but we're still facing that very critical or blaming or judgmental voice 
And, you know, that's different for everybody. Those kind of automatic stress responses that we go to, the most common still are those kind of more angry, critical voices, but we might also feel very kind of bereft or defeated. You know, that might be something that we've learned. Mm -hmm. So again, that becomes, it's almost like a two-pronged process of being able to move through that. First, just identifying Mm -hmm. it, you know, tuning into it. We don't always like to do that because they can be quite nasty, those voices, or they can make us feel really sad. So we often just try and ignore them. But really being able to sit with that voice, think about what is it that I'm telling myself every day? What is it, those voices that are coming out of my mouth? Where do they come Mm -hmm. from? How do I feel about that? What might I want to do differently? But also then what do I need in order to be able to kind of put that voice to bed? So what does that little kid in me that heard those messages, what do they need to hear right now so that they feel soothed? Because I often think what can happen with, especially when we're faced with these really stressful situations with our children, we can almost have like our adult self that can respond in a particular way, like more maybe our idealized way. But then there might be a little kid in us going, oh, you would never have got away with that. How dare they speak to that? Like you yes. never got and that yeah. and that will come out because of course the feeling is the yeah. same, you know, that leads to feeling mm-hmm. angry and frustrated and resentful in your body. So that is going to come out sooner or later. And often you that will can often happen to parents, right? Where they feel like they've responded beautifully. And then, you know, mm-hmm. as the adrenaline goes and their stress comes down, then the next thing that happens, they just explode. And that's when you can then have that cycle of real shame where you're like but I did so well five minutes ago and why is it just come out <laughs> yeah. and actually that's because yeah. you haven't really addressed the sort of remnants of that feeling what that left you with how hard it might be mm-hmm. for you to respond in that beautiful ideal way when that isn't something that you experienced yourself so it's both tuning into you know that kind of voice and where that comes from but also then the impact that that had on you then the impact it might yeah. still be having on you now and really being very, very kind to yourself and thinking about how am I going to do something about that? How am I going to soothe that little kid in me right now so that you know I'm not re- repeating that pattern? And often that's mm-hmm. not necessarily around talking or doing. It can be, but it also I really encourage people to do much more physiological kind of grounding body-based practices because in the moment, our stress response is automatic. So all of these really clever ideas that we might have about how we want to respond, they go when we are on autopilot. So finding ways that you can really bring your body into a calm state can be the most Mm -hmm. effective way of parenting in a way that you would prefer. So that's things like what would be examples of that? Oh, you just, yeah, just going to say, you know, things like reading, you know, there's loads of stuff yeah. that's freely available now. There's also lots of practices that I do in the book, but, you know, things like mm-hmm. just knowing your own nervous system response, noticing when you're feeling agitated, mm-hmm. when you're feeling a bit fizzy, finding ways that work for you to be able to calm your body back down again, bringing it back into a relaxed state. So it might be breathing, mm-hmm. it might be meditation, it might be yoga, it might be putting on a song and having a massive dance around the kitchen. It might be going out to the garden and screaming at the moon. You know, whatever it is that works for you. <laughs> whatever works for you. Yeah. Yeah. things yeah. to just bring your body back to a place of calm. I think they're also worth thinking about before moments happen because it's, as you say, it's almost impossible to start thinking about that. You want it to be an, an almost 
automatic response that you know when you feel your adrenaline starting to kick in and you're fizzing a bit, that you know that you've got to put those things in place for you. It's a bit like when you're on an aeroplane and say, put on your own mask yeah. before you help others. It's that idea that you want to try and calm yourself before you then try and calm yeah. your child. Again, dead easy to say. Not as easy not to say. And sometimes you'll get it and sometimes you won't. And also you're talking about the fact that, you know, there are ways of parenting and, you know, every week seems to be another way of parenting mm -hmm. that's added to the list. And we were doing some research as a team recently the on the terms, NCT yeah. website, they're going to explain to this of all the terms of all the different sorts of parenting. But if you go on TikTok or similar and look up any sort of that parenting, some of them are really prescriptive yeah. and people get really upset that you're not following the whatever parenting rules, yeah. which seems to completely undermine the whole thought around being that kind of parent. Because surely if it's a way of parenting, it shouldn't have rules and regulations yes. that go along with yeah, and it. Judgment it be an like a framework, yeah, yeah. No, and if the idea of it is that, you know, you are validating others' difficult emotions while we're not doing that for each other as well. You know, there's lots of comparison and competition in parenting. I think mm. also because it can really add to the stress response, if you're thinking I need to remember that really great line that I read on TikTok. <laughs> uh, actually, you know, it's taking you away from connecting with your child, very yeah. simply. Yeah. Yeah. And it's taking you into a kind of a place of executive function where you're trying to remember. And actually, that's not where we need to be when we're trying to really deeply emotionally connect with somebody. We need to be in our body, not in our head. And that. And also, the child on TikTok who responded in a particular way to that line is not your child. So, when you're saying, your darling, would you like to just do this instead? And your child says, no. I don't know what to say next. I haven't got that well, line. Well, that's it. Right? And I think that when it becomes prescriptive and it's not coming from our own. You know, our own intuition, our own learning, you know, we, we can, mm -hmm. some of that content is incredibly helpful, but we need to be mm -hmm. able to apply it to our lives, our experiences. Think about how comfortable we feel with these words coming out of our mouth even. And I think it's yeah. that, you know, because if we're doing it in a way that feels prescriptive and perfect or idealized, there is always going to be a point where we just run out of ideas because we're doing something that we feel like we should be doing rather than something that feels best for us and our child in our set of circumstances. Yeah. And it's quite hard to, I think, you know, navigate that, particularly in the first year of parenting, where, you know, you might be very used to, like we were talking before about, you know, work and, and parenting, but we're really used to feeling a sense of reward and achievement every day. And so it, mm -hmm. it becomes really attractive to think about, well, if I can follow this sort of checklist of parenting how-tos, then at least I know that I'm doing a good job. So I think particularly in the first few months or first year of parenting, having that sort of, you know, parenting guides or these kind of ideas about particular strategies that you can use can feel really appealing, but actually in the longer term can really stop us from gaining our own confidence in parenting because yeah. it's not coming from us. It's coming from an idea of what we think is best. And yeah. actually our best is always going to be a really complex and unique mix of what is going on within our own family. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine if you've got your kids to give you your annual performance review? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would never be getting any promotion. I think another thing that you said interesting there about the inner voice, I think something I, I say often is that if we were as 
mean to our friends and family as we are to ourselves when we use our inner critic. We wouldn't have any friends, would we? So I think finding that kinder voice yeah. and, and finding things to celebrate about what we're doing as best as we possibly can is, is so important. Yeah, and actually, I, don't, I mean, I think the idea of asking your children for an annual performance review is not a bad one. You know, being able to invite <laughs> feedback, you know, but just complain, like, you know, because actually you'll be surprised at how positive the, the feedback so often mm-hmm. is. You know, the things that we right. berate ourselves for. Or the things that we feel like we're getting wrong, either they are not the kid, the things that our kids are picking up on. You know, what, That's probably so when, true. You know, when should you, we be should really we, brave? Should we try, I absolutely yeah. should go and say, you know, we're what, both coming in tears tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it, you know, it's, it's yeah, a really wonderful question to ask your children. You know, what's mm-hmm. the, what? How are things? How are things between us? Is there anything that mm-hmm. you would like me to be doing that I'm not doing? What is it that you feel like? Mm-hmm. You know, what's going well for us and. You know, that almost mm-hmm. like a relationship check-in. I mean, I talk in the book about family meetings, but actually mm-hmm. so often we can, you know, the kids go to bed and we're sitting up thinking about the mistakes that we made and the things that we got wrong. Maybe we're on our phone too much. It's sort of something that really commonly comes up with people that I talk to or, you know, I shouted when I really wish I hadn't. But actually our children might remember something so different from the day and often being able to... Yeah, hear that from them. Think about kind of what's important to them, which is often so different to what's important to us. Emma, for those of us that are listening whose children are not yet, you know, uh, speaking or not able to respond in the ways that we've been talking with our older children, what would you sort of advise and recommend? Well, I think our children often can tell us more than we realise through their behaviour, through the way that they respond to us. And, you know, like Mm. we were saying earlier, part of really being able to open up those lines of communication with children is just our willingness to listen. It might not always be with words. And even when they're older, right, they can often give us feedback or they can tell us how they're feeling through their behaviour much more easily than they will yeah. through their words. And I think it's that, you know, even when they're 20, 20 odd. And I think really, again, kind of being able to, it's often at very unexpected times, right? As we all know, as parents, you know, the times where our children feel more able to share with us what they're experiencing, whether that's about us or whether that's about something else that's going on in their lives. They're always at those moments, like just before bedtime or just when you're kind of desperate to go and do something else usually, but (laughs) being able to have that awareness and willingness that when the time comes, you're just open to those kind of interactions can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. There is this kind of process of interpretation that we have to do, which can be so tricky when it's not. Yeah, the guesswork. There's a lot of guesswork. And again, I would yeah. say it's really important at that stage to not feel that pressure to get it right first time. Like your child will let you know mm-hmm. if you if you're really wide of the mark. You know, being able to just be open to this, it could be this, it could be that. Like in all relationships, there's going to be a bit of process of trial and error. You know, the more verbal mm-hmm. they get, the more able they will be to express themselves. But again, like we said, you know, they might they're not always going to say, "Hey." mum, dad, I'm experiencing this particular issue. Can you help me with it? They're going to show mm-hmm. it in a very different way. So, you know, yeah. being able yeah. to learn to sort of listen to their emotional expression is a really helpful skill. Brilliant. So I think there are difficult things that will happen in your parenting journey, especially around your child developing their emotional resilience. Mm-hmm. But 
being a, an effective parent is one that kind of sometimes has to tackle that with the child. And again, there are lots of strategies for how you do that. Um, but not just saying, well, I'm this sort of parent. So if you don't want to do that, that's okay. We'll just not mm. do it. Let's move on. I think it is one of those areas that are particularly with, I suppose, kind of modern parenting approaches, which do tend to be more sort of gentle parenting, for example, or attachment parenting was really popular for the kind of last sort of 10 years or so. You know, there, there often comes a point where people kind of feel like, well, what do I do about boundaries? Like, what do I do about discipline? Or if I don't like a behaviour? And, you know, one of the things that I, I find really fascinating is that we can either be, you know, often parents don't want to be authoritarian. You know, that's something that is really frowned upon often nowadays. And in, author in authoritarian parenting, what we tend to do is if we're faced with a big emotion like anger, we tend to kind of suppress it quite quickly right you can't talk to me like that you know and and it can yeah. you know we can almost squash that emotion quite quickly but in more permissive parenting which gentle parenting can often veer into and what you were talking about Alistair that sort of I'm, I'm just going to let that happen because you know I'm not going to mm -hmm. set a boundary around that behavior I'm not going to ask you to adapt your behavior in any way actually that also doesn't allow anger to be expressed in a healthy helpful way because I think in both of those situations, you know, parents are almost a little bit afraid of the big feeling. So either we squash it or we're kind of so scared of it that we can't set a boundary around it. We just sort of let it wash yeah. over us. What's really tricky about that is that the child, of course, is then left holding all of that big feeling on their own because children, you know, need to have limits, you know, as, as we know, you know, yeah. there is that point where we feel that we're not in control of our emotions we need to have the experience of a bigger adult being in control of uh, or helping us to control those experiences and those emotions. And, you know, that sense of just having something to, having something to land on, you know, that's really what a boundary is, right? It's like, yeah. you need to have something to land on. You need to have something that you know is going to hold you so that you don't feel completely out of control. And I think lots of parents can find that really tricky now. You know, what does it, mm. I read things on the internet that are like, you know, what do we say now that we, we're not allowed to say no anymore? And, you know, to think about just in your day, daily life where things are really stressful, you're making countless decisions about how you're responding to a child all the time. If you have mm -hmm. that in your mind as a kind of unspoken rule, but I'm never allowed to say the word no, actually, again, that is really raising pressure on you as a parent to get things perfect and to do things in this very particular way and it leaves you feel can leave parents I think feeling very lost about what feels acceptable if yeah. you it often happens I think when you've come from a household where you've faced quite authoritarian parenting which is the case for a lot of parents mm. now and there can be a very natural sort of pendulum swing back to something that feels a little bit different but being able to think, well, what was good about really knowing what the expectations were on me when I was growing up? How did that help me? And also, of course, at school and in other settings, there are always going to be boundaries. Like just in, you know, yeah. civil society, there are always going to be boundaries around our behavior. Yeah. So, you know, that is also part of raising humans, right? Helping them to understand mm -hmm. what is acceptable in the society that we live in. But being able to then find your own ways to do that. Yeah. And I think it is, you're right, it's just unpicking that. I mean, in our family, quite a long time ago, we were a wooden spoon was used as a as a boundary indicator. Mm -hmm. Like, here is the indicator of the boundary. If you overstep the boundary, then you'll, you will have the, the wrath of the wooden mm -hmm. spoon. 
So again, where I wouldn't advocate in any way, shape or form, using that as a behavior management mechanism or a boundary setter, you can think about, well, actually, I got to a point where I knew that that was the point where I could go no further. But there are other ways of putting those yeah. boundaries in place through dialogue, through all sorts of other things that don't involve any involve kind of fear. physical contact yeah. or fear. Yeah. But yet you're dead right. It's about saying, okay, if I can think about that differently and not just think about the fact it was using physical contact yeah. as a way of punishment think about, okay, well, what was the positive around the boundary? And then how can I instigate that boundary in other ways? Yeah, that are and I, I think it positive. can help to think about, you know, what you find helpful when you're feeling out of control emotionally, which we still do as adults, you know, that actually mm -hmm. you don't really want somebody to just kind of sit back and let it happen. You want somebody to come and kind of contain it for you. So thinking about yeah. that experience for you, you know, how can you then do that for your child in an age-appropriate way? I mean, you know, I think mm -hmm. that we can be a lot bolder as parents than we often feel like we can be. And I think what can be really tricky for lots of parents is that when we're not setting those boundaries early on, and then we find that actually we become stressed because of the behavior, we're much more likely mm -hmm. to then respond mm -hmm. in a way that, you know, we, like we were saying before, we said that we never would or to respond in a, in a more kind of authoritarian or out of control way. Whereas if we set mm -hmm. those limits early and we feel that we, you know, have some sense of containment around what's happening in our home, what's happening around behaviour, then we're more likely to be able to sustain that. It becomes, it just feels a little bit more measured. So we used to talk a lot to our eldest child about his behaviour and his choices. And I remember one of the mothers, and I can't say which one because they both, both might listen, uh, did one say to me and Faye, there's far too much talking with that boy and not enough action. <laughs> that kind of also external parental pressure from parents saying, mm -hmm. what, why are you talking about Back it? in my day. Yeah, yeah. You don't need, you don't need to discuss it. He's four. Why are you discussing yeah. it with a four-year-old? He just needs to know. But all of that does swim around in the back of your head. And you it think, well, you know, is there too much yeah. talking? Am I creating a rush yeah, my own back? Yeah, constant, constant yeah. question. But I think Absolutely. that's it, is it? Because these are all the messages that we have all the time. You know, messages mm -hmm. from our history, messages from the present, messages from society, messages from our own children. And I think that when we can really tune into all of that and realise what a lot of pressure we're putting on ourselves and all of those messages mm -hmm. we're putting on us, it can allow us the time and the space to then think, but what do I actually believe? What do I want to do? What do I feel in my gut is the best way to respond to this? You know, absolutely, if you were not a child who was listened to, it is a very natural response to want to really listen and talk to your own child because you remember what that experience was like. And then as they get older, they might say to you, too much talking, Dad, you know, you can yeah. not talk to me now. And then, you know, like said before, well, one, we, as long as you can hear that feedback, then we can yeah. shift with our children. That's well, really fascinating. When I've got my kids to do my performance review on your recommendation, Dr. Fredberg, yeah. I will let you know. <laughs> you know, with the too much talking is an issue that comes up. I imagine it probably I will. really look forward. I really look forward to that feedback. Emma, if there was one thing you wanted um, a listener to take away from our conversation today, what would it be? Other than buy a book and read it, I'm obviously. I'm sure there's others. <laughs> I yeah. think my one takeaway would be just to slow down, you know, take the pressure off that you are in a lifelong relationship with another human being that involves lots of other human beings as well. 
and that you can take your time with it and make mistakes as you go. There's always time to repair later on when things don't go the way that you wish they had. So I think that is such a message that I wish parents could hear more of nowadays. Brilliant advice. So all it moves me to say is thank you so much, Emma. We literally could have talked to you all day, but I think you've given us some excellent advice and really given us some things to think about. So thank you very much for appearing on the podcast. Thanks, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it too. And your voice has calmed me so much. I could listen to it all day. <laughs> thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure meeting you both. Well, that was really good. Really enjoyed that. I thought it was a lot to take away from it. I Shall thoroughly enjoyed it as well. do our top five takeaways? Come on then. Okay, so number one for me is to tune into your own emotions and also just remember to be kind to yourself. So number two for me was not being afraid to get it wrong because we are going to make mistakes because we're human. Number three is try and recognise your inner parent. Number four for me was recognising when you're beginning to get a bit fizzy and practising strategies for calming yourself down and maybe practising them beforehand so that it's something that is a bit sort of muscle memory when it's required. And number five is remembering that children are humans too. So Mm. we are all fallible human beings and you're just dealing with a little one. So thanks for listening and do get in touch if you've got any questions for us or if there's something you'd like us to talk about on the podcast. You can post questions on our Facebook community or on Instagram and it's at my first five years with the five written out. And if you want more tips around parenting in the early years, you can download the My First Five Years app from the App Store. And you can also get this podcast direct to your feed by pressing the follow button on your Apple Podcasts app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.